Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The great Jim McCourt has passed away at the age of 79. Yeah. He was an Olympic teammate of yours, the hero of... Irish boxing in the 60s and 70s and he'd be sadly missed it. Tell us about the Jim McCourt that you knew. Well, absolutely. I was uh, shocked and saddened uh, hearing the death of Jim. Jim was my teammate in the Mexico Olympic Games in uh, 1968. And not only was he my teammate, he was our, our team captain as well. Uh, we all looked up to him. He was that little bit older than, than us, but he, he was also the man who had, um, he had um, the record there to prove that he was a top-class fighter. And uh, Jim was a fighter that I always admired. He was he was a very different kind of fighter to me. Uh, Jim was very, very technical and a nightmare for anybody to fight. And it's no wonder he won so many uh, fights, that he won so many uh, uh, titles and, and uh, medals, because he was, a, he, he, he was a thinking man's fighter. Thank God I wasn't uh, in his weight or he in my weight. That I would have had to fight him because he would have been so, so difficult. Jim was very good. A uh, clever fighter, a southpaw, uh, a counterpuncher, a kind of fighter would draw you on, make you miss, and he would just lean back that little fraction and, and bang, bang, bang. He'd pick you off with beautiful counterpunches. And I remember he used to be telling us, oh, Mickey should do this and do that, and this is how you do it. And I'd, yeah, but it's great, Jim. Thank you, you know. So he would help and advise us, the younger fighters in those days, yeah, especially when we went to Mexico Olympics together. Yeah, he, he comes across, I, I gather he was uh, quite a gentleman outside of the ring. Absolute gentleman, yeah. He, yeah Jim was a nice, nice, really nice man. And uh, quiet spoken, but uh, again, didn't carry any battle scars at all from his boxing days because he didn't get hit very much. He was so good technically, and as I said, thank God he wasn't in my weight division because he would probably box the ears off McDowell. But uh, he was considerably heavier and bigger than me. But again, I had great admiration for him, as did all my teammates at the time. What was your first year emerging uh, on the Irish team? On the Irish team, um, I suppose, I suppose nineteen sixty eight, probably. You know, it's when I qualified for the Olympic Games, and. Uh, Jim was on that team and Jim was uh, our, our team leader. So it was probably 1968. And to get qualified for the Olympics, and then I qualified by beating some top class opposition from abroad, you know, European champion from, from uh, I think it was Germany and so on. I uh, boxed the Russians and I beat the Russians as well. 
and uh, and we'd have a fantastic year. So, you know, I knew that once I win this national title, it was going to be very hard not to pick me for the games. So I nearly won the title, and they got selected for Mexico. Now it was fantastic for Mexico because going to Mexico as a young boxer wasn't like over oh, going to Europe or anywhere like that. No, this was far away, exotic Mexico. And it was just class. It was great. So that was perhaps my real big breakthrough then in 68, you know? Yeah. And 68, then we followed, of course, you know, 69, I went to the European Championships and uh, I won a medal in the European Championships. That was 69. Two years later, I was back in the Europeans again and I won another European medal uh, in 71. It was in Madrid. And... um and, you know, when I did lose out, uh, and when I lost out in the Olympics, and when I lost out also at the Europeans, I never lost on a unanimous decision. Every single time there were disputed decisions, there were dis- you know, fights that perhaps I should have won. I was only a few weeks ago reading uh, a particular reporter who wrote and said, he said perhaps the unluckiest man he, that he had ever seen uh, in boxing with Rick Dowling, he said, who I thought was, you know, robbed on a number of occasions of uh, perhaps winning a medal at the Olympics and even further at the Europeans. But I had the good fortune, as I said, to win two European medals. And um, I was very so you, grateful for when that. When you lose split decisions, it, I suppose it suggests that mm. some of the judges, at least one, would think you've won. You're in every fight. A case can be made for every fight that you've won. Yeah, you see... When, when we went to Europe in those days, we went to the Olympics in those days, we were a little small nation. We had no pull. We had no power at all at international level. Mm-hmm. So Mick Dowling from Ireland, you know, someone would be wondering where, where, where the heck is Ireland fighting somebody from the mighty Cuba, you know, state-sponsored or Russia at the time. It was very, very difficult. And it was against guys like that that I lost split decisions. Yeah. Um, because they would have the pull with, you know, with, with, with the judges. And there's absolutely no doubt about it that sometimes it was, uh, it was set up. They weren't going to give it to the little Irish guy because if it was close, because nobody complained. Yeah. Nobody like, didn't complain. It's, it's interesting, like, and cons- considering the hall of medals that you guys, the team mm. of the 60s, won from 64, Jim McCourt. Uh, up to your own European uh, medals in 69 and 71. And like you say, little old Ireland, you guys were working full time, training only, training as much as you could, but effectively a- amateur boxing uh, to every you know, intense and purpose of the word. Can you describe what it was like to come up against the state-sponsored athletes from from West East, East and West Germany, Soviet nations? How much more prepared were they and how uphill of a battle was it for you guys to fight? Well, the, the, the uphill battle for us was that, uh, for me, I worked at the Gresham Hotel. Uh, I became a qualified waiter, you know, um, for most of my boxing career. And I worked there, whatever it was, five, six days a week, nonstop. Trained in the morning before I would uh, go to work. I could be out on the roads here. I could be up in Phoenix Park. Uh, then I would in and I worked. Uh, when there was a break for after breakfast, we, we would have a break from let's say half past 12 and you were, uh, or, or even, even earlier, half 11 and you were back up for lunch at one o'clock. But between that hour and a half gave me the, the, the opportunity to go running 
from the Gresham Hotel out to Fairview Park, took my running, came back, had a quick shower, went back up on duty again. Uh, then I was off at uh, three o'clock and we were back up again on duty at six. But if you were lucky then that you finished at six, I then would head to my boxing club, Arbor Hill Boxing Club. Um, where on the other hand, to answer your question, we were then taking on the Russians and so on, who were f- absolutely state-funded, full-time boxers, full-time athletes, and we were trying to take take them on. wasn't easy at all. No. Um, and the gym that you knew at the time, what was he working at? And like, did he find it hard? I always get the sense from the way his co- his his colleagues, his teammates speak about Jim. He made everything look effortless because of the natural skill oh, he brought. Oh, yeah. But no doubt he was a hard worker yes. too. You don't get far without yeah. Talent only goes so far. You need to be dedicated and disciplined. But he did make things look easy, didn't he? He made, he made things look easy because he was so classy. He, he was, a, as I said, he was a thinking man's fighter, really smart uh, boxer. Um, guys like myself had to work my butt off to, to have the fitness and the power and the strength and the speed and everything. Jim was naturally smart, naturally clever. Uh, it's not to say I was a dope <laughs> or anything like that, but, but he was just a very, very good technical boxer. We talk about Muhammad Ali, really good technically as well, speed and that lean back and picking him off. McCourt was, you know, he was that type of fighter as well. He was a southpaw, which made him awkward as well to fight. Were they, were southpaws less common in the day? Because it's, oh, it, he was uh, the leading southpaw. Yeah, he used to maybe... No, they were always less common uh, and always difficult to fight, but they're still less common mm. today. It's just, it's just the, the nature of things. Um, you know, if you fight the southpaw as, as a good coach, you got to say, look, this guy's a southpaw and you got to know how you should go about fighting him. What's the best way to do it? Because otherwise southpaw will just keep picking you off all the time. And uh, Jim McCourt was like that. He was, he was clever, very clever. So you say he was the captain and he was, he was. the leader of the, leader of the, the side and uh, leader of the was. team. Did you, did you travel around the world? Tell, can you, do you recall some of the trips to the places you went and, what it was like the camaraderie between the team because it was obviously important for the Irish team. Yeah, there would always be good camaraderie. You know, you go to the team, there's a bit of crack, there's a bit of fun, and uh, sometimes a bit of divilment uh, from, from some of the boys as well. You can imagine a bunch of lads. Always. Oh, yeah. But um, no, by and large, we all knew what we were there to do, and everybody behaved themselves. You had the team manager and you had the, the officials and so on. And you, were, you focused on your fight, and everybody wanted to win, whether it was against Germany or Russia or the USA or whatever. And uh, we toured America as well. We fought over there and, and uh, at Madison Square Garden, uh, in fact. And uh, fantastic to fight there. To, to fight at Madison Square Garden. You fought Square at the Garden, Garden. yeah. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Was on court on that trip as well? Uh, Jim probably was on that as yeah. well. It's, it's so long ago. And I, I need to be looking up. Of course, yeah. You know, right the stats box so in front no, of us. Jim, yeah. No, I, was on, I was on many a trip with Jim, yeah. Now, Jim picked off seven. Irish senior titles in his in his pomp. He did. Did you ever see anyone in Ireland run him particularly close or anything like that? I think he lost one of his finals, didn't he? He may have, but if he did, it would have been maybe maybe at the latter end of his career. But <clears throat> you know, winning seven titles at light lightweight—that's what he was. Lightweight as well as uh, in in stones is um, nine stone seven, mm. nine stone seven in uh, stones, sixty kilos. Um, no, anybody in their day drawing Jim McCourt in the championship, you know, it sent a shiver down your spine straight away. You knew that, oh, unless I'm steeped in luck here, I'm not going to beat McCourt. That's how good he was. 
was he I, I take it is he, like his respect ran far and wide like would it have they would his colleagues in the UK and oh, the four know. nations they'd all be like mourning his loss if, if they're still oh, around yeah, today like. they, they would and you know good lot of his retouching through Facebook and everything else you know um, I do some of my old opponents from the UK and all would, would send messages to me you know that is I boxed and, uh, and so on and it's it's great to keep up to speed and up to date with, with them as well yeah and of course they would hear and know that Jim McCourt has passed yeah they would Absolutely. Yeah. Would his uh, would his Olympic medal from nineteen sixty four have inspired the rest of the team when you all went out to sixty oh, eight? Like everybody would have gone uh, yes, with, a, yeah. with a lot of belief. I remember sixty four. Uh, I, I, I would be a young fellow then, but McCourt last two. I remember the name well, Baranikov. You know that was the, the Russian, and again he lost a very disputed decision to him. Uh, Baranikov was his. Uh, that was his, his name. Lost uh, on a, a very, very disputed split decision. But that was the, the story of our lives here in Ireland. So many of us, I lost so many of them all on split decisions. Yeah. Uh, and as I said earlier, never beaten on unanimous decision, never stopped, never knocked out. Um, but, you know, we, 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 when they were close, we did not get them. You know, the big nations, the Russians, the Americans, the Germans, so they got them out. I wasn't aware that he went through that tournament in 64 with a hand injury. I've got a, a letter yes. mm. written by the BBC commentator Harry Carpenter here. He wrote about the tournament mm. and he said, um, as someone who watched the Olympic boxing in Tokyo in 1964, the memory of Jim McCourt's gallant efforts, which ended with his bringing home a coveted bronze medal, will remain with me for a, a long, long time. The fact that he boxed in the highest class of competition with both hands painfully injured mm. and still contrived to win a medal the only member of the Irish or British teams to do so is a tribute to his fighting heart. At no time did he publicly complain about the handicap under which he was boxing, and yet his difficulties were sufficient to have justified his withdrawal from the games had he felt inclined mm. to do so. Jim McCourt continued to box, and right up until the semi-finals, he continued to win. When defeat came against the talented Russian star, you're right, Baranikov, mm. it could have only come by the narrowest of margin. In fact, I felt the decision could, could quite well have gone for him, Ireland can be proud of Jim McCourt, who upheld the highest traditions of Olympic courage and sportsmanship in Tokyo and gave this commentator an abiding memory of his journey to Japan. Very good. Well, yeah. You know, but, but I admire Jim McCourt for his boxing and his boxing skills. Uh, but I admire and remember Jim for his, his kindness and his, um, you know, he was a gentleman. He wasn't a tough, hard nut. He was, he was a nice guy who always had time for us, as I said, the, the younger, less experienced fighters. He always had a word uh, at of uh, encouragement to us when it came to big time boxing. And that's what I like to remember Jim for. And I, yeah. if my memory serves me right, he was, he was prone to have a little little smoke on the, on the, on the side as well. Uh, but we puff an odd little cigarette here and there, which amazed me that he'd done that, you know. But he, I'm pretty sure he did. I think I've heard that before, yeah. I think he did, yeah, yeah. But no, Jim, I'm not going to have one, thank you. <laughs> yeah. We had a recent show uh, with uh, with Gus Farrell, the senior champ from 1965. Oh, great, exciting fighter. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember much of his career? Not much there of his career. I remember he, he boxed, I think he'd done a few pro fights against Ski Mullen in the National Stadium. And they were two tremendous fights, two great fighters. I think it was at a two, venue. Two Dublin fighters. Yeah. It was at a venue that's since gone. It, was a, it had a different name. It was in the, in the city centre behind Camden Street. What was the name of it though? Uh, yeah. Escapes me now. Hmm. But they did. I think they yeah. fought twice. Yeah, each each won one of them. 
Oh, and uh, Sheriff Street versus the Liberties in the crowd as well. It was uh, two great fighters. Yeah, no doubt about it. He was saying he he was on a night out with uh, Jim McCourt up in Belfast, and it was kind of hush hush knock on the door, and then brought upstairs and treated like a lord. Wouldn't have to buy a drink all night, and it was just revered in Belfast. Did you spend much time in Belfast with Jim at all? Or no, I didn't. No, no like uh, most fighters based in Dublin here at the time, it'd be to be. Uh, Fleeting and flying visits up for you know, you know maybe a, a tournament or uh, whatever sort of a, a, a boxing show would be on. But no, that was it. We didn't ever really stay there for collective training or squad training. Most of that was done at the National Boxing Stadium. Yeah. Did you ever speak about like the Belfast he was living in? Because obviously he was a hero of of the of the entire city, and then the city got racked with conflict. Indeed. As his career came towards a wind down and. I don't know, boxing was used to unify. Mm. It was a helpful mm. way of unifying people. But at the same time, it's been difficult for the for the Belfast fighters. Yeah, well, there were people like Jim McCourt, who, who uh, you know, and he's only one of, of a number of great fighters who could ramble into the opposition territory, like, say, into the Shanky Road. And everybody would know who Jim McCourt was. And he would be loved and welcomed. Jerry Story, our national coach, was the same. Absolutely loved and welcomed there. And on the other hand, again, you had Davy Larmore, and Davy was a, a Shank Hill man, let's say, from that general area. And again, you know, if he came down into the Falls Road area and all that, Davy Larmore would be very well known and very well liked and, and welcomed. You know, there was this, I suppose, respect amongst boxers and fighters, and it didn't matter whether you were Catholic, Protestant, or, or, or dissenter, you, you would be made welcome. Did you see much of Jim after uh, his fighting career came to an end at yours? Because you were unfortunately, I didn't. Unfortunately, no. He wasn't one to come back to the national stadium and all that. Um, I know he's, he's got a daughter that's quite a has been quite a, a decent athlete, and uh, she's been doing extremely well. And now and then I get little little messages about uh, about her dad, you know. But she was quite a useful athlete herself. Yeah, Kathy, I think. Correct. Yeah, yeah and I think the, the nephew Frankie was coaching fighters as uh, well. Frankie, including. Frankie, Frankie, good man too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Frankie, of course. Yeah. So uh, in those days, and, and and today, a lot of good fighters come from uh, around that area of Belfast. You know, a, a lot of good fighters. Yeah, of course, your own coaching career was massively successful after you after you hung up the gloves. Well, I like to feel that when I did hang up the gloves, which was in 1975, yeah, I straight away went into coaching and I, I coached Drimna Amateur Boxing Club for a good number of years. Coached the likes of Phil Sutcliffe, who I took, coached him to win a good few Irish titles and a European medal as well, I think. Uh, I would have coached um, Phil Paul, Sutcliffe. Paul Griffin. Two, two, two European medals, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, like Sutcliffe was a great little fighter. Yeah. And I often say about him, Phil was the kind of guy, if I said, Phil, go up and stand on your head there in the corner for five minutes, you wouldn't say why, you would just do it. And, and you know, as a result... You wouldn't say that to him, though, would you? No, I wouldn't. But, but if I did, he would do anything. He'd do it, yeah, he's dedicated. Anything. And he was dedicated. If, no matter what I would tell him to do, he would do it. And he was a great little trainer, always very, very fit, and he needed to be for his style of fighting. Paul Griffin was another one that took him to Irish titles and um, European glory as well. Um, also with Drumna Boxing Club, um, Paul was a very, very clever southpaw, really smart southpaw, and uh, I put a lot of time into him. But did Paul have a Jim McCourt type talent south southpaw? Paul Griffin, yeah, a lot of he had he, he had that 
type of talent. He was good, but McCourt was just an exception, you yeah. know. But uh, Griffin was very, very good uh, in that club at the time as well as the, uh, I had the Roots, Christy Root, Georgie Root. They were good Irish champions, and, and I coached all those guys. Mm. So, and I'm still giving back because I'm, my little club is my talent boxing club here, yeah. and I'm still giving back for the sport that gave me so much. Yeah, uh, you know. Do and, um, Do you believe that your background as a as a, a world class amateur boxer? Obviously, it helped you become a coach, but do you think it's necessary to be a top, a, a good boxer to be a good coach? It helps. It most certainly helps. Uh, it's not to say that, oh, you have to be a top-class fighter. No, I'm sure lots of top-class football coaches have to be top-class players themselves. But for me, I, my brother coached me a massive amount. Now, he did box a little bit of pro boxing, but he was a, he was a really, really good uh, coach. He taught me power, he taught me, you know, a nice style of fighting and so on. But no, it helps, yes, that, that you have that personal knowledge. You've been there, you've taken the punches, you know what it's like. Um, it does help, but it doesn't mean that you have to have been a top fighter. Does it maybe help you establish a bond with a boxer because they're putting their lives in your hands and oh, yeah. you're, you're strategizing and they know that. They, you know what you're talking because you've been through you've it. Been there, you've yeah. done that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. Because sometimes, does you, did, did, were you want to come up with unusual strategies that the boxers are sometimes confounded by, but they trust you. It works, and then you go on and it, and they'll trust you forever. Then after they'll that, trust or trust you because yeah. you're, you're, you know you've been their coach and you are their coach, so you know they will do it. You know, if you think you know better, I'd say, well, <laughs> you do. But no, they would never, wouldn't question you, never. Yeah, they wouldn't. Um, so you're still getting back in mental talent and there's still kids oh, coming still, through, yeah? Yeah, yeah, sure. I should be down there tonight and I was down there last night. And, and again, as I said, I'm just giving back to, you know, I don't have the, the good fighters I used to have and I don't care. I've, I've been there and I've done all that and I'm happy to look after young lads who want to learn a bit of boxing now. Yeah. And their mammies and their daddies want to get them off the road or their mammies and daddies don't want to be bullied at school or something. And... You know, go down to McDowell in Sporia and keep them down. And I help them and I do my even best with them. Yeah. You know, and it works with, with some of them. So I suppose that aspect of your, your journey or your life in boxing, you're not necessarily looking to train the next elite champion, although if it comes not, your not way, anymore. fantastic. No, but yeah, it, no. it's improving people's lives and helping them through yeah. the sport. Well, you see, I suppose in a way what helped me was, uh, as you know, I, I had the good fortune to do an awful lot of work with RTE as well. I covered, mm. I think, at least five Olympic games for them. And I covered lots of the big pro fights uh, as the boxing analyst, I suppose you would call yeah. And And that, in a way, also gives you profile that young youngsters, um, yeah, youngsters like they see you and they know you and they know that, they know that they've, they've seen you uh, covering stuff on TV. And they, they like that. And they respect you there, you know? Yeah. Your time in RT, I presume you enjoyed it. You gave a lot of years to it. We've seen Liam Brady step away now after 25 years yeah, covering. Yeah. Did you know Liam very well or did you I mean, meet no, Trudor? Yeah, but I, I wouldn't have known him well, you know. We might bump into one another at a, maybe a Texaco Awards doer special presentation. I, that would be all, you know. What do you think about the current state of boxing, amateur and professional, even in an Irish or a world context? Does it still, because we saw Liam Brady has said, this week that it no longer holds the same football no longer holds the same fascination for him it's changed utterly I, I, I don't want to quote him out of context so I'm just paraphrasing him but he's no longer 
as interested in the game he once loved. And like Liam Brady, the passion of that man. And, you know, you no doubt have it yourself. What do you think of the, the modern sport? Oh, Liam was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, modern sport. Um, yeah. I, I have to say, I still watch it. I still love it. And the big fights. Yeah. I love to, to watch those, the big ones. You know, um, I think in amateur boxing at the moment, we're struggling a little bit and COVID didn't help. Um, you know, it took away boxing from the, out of the national stadium. I mean, it's, I don't know, is it four years since there's been in Ireland versus England or Germany or France at the national stadium? That is an awful shame. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute shame. And I don't think it's enough to say, oh, we couldn't do it because of COVID. For God's sake, COVID is over and done. We should have been able to do it. We should bring it back to the stadium. And you would pack that place. I used to love go, going to the national stadium on fight night when I wasn't fighting it before and, and even when I was. Going there and the place would be black. You'd be outside anyone buying or selling a ticket. But now the place is just dead. And that's a terrible, terrible shame. And I'm not blaming anyone because I don't know who to blame. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the leadership roles have changed. Everything has changed utterly in the last couple of years at the stadium, well, hasn't well, it? Well, that's a question perhaps the likes of yourself would need to put to the IABA. Why is it that it has gone this long and is not good enough to... to Offer COVID as an as an excuse. Loads of other sports are on. Loads of them indoor sports. It frustrates me as well because a lot of the um, they have test matches behind closed doors. They have training camps that involve the USA, France, Britain. They all fight each other at the Ulster University of Jordanstown. Yeah. The media don't get really get in. Maybe you could make a special request. Mm-hmm. Can I please attend? But you have to nearly go crawling, you know, on your knees looking for permission, special permission or privilege to be let in to see it. But a lot of the selection, so a lot of the selections are made from behind closed doors spars, mm. as opposed to in the white hot heat of battle at the national stadium for everybody yeah. to see, you know. And, and to go to the national stadium, and I so well remember, apart from in my own days, but even even after that as well, going there, Ireland versus England, and the excitement and the crowds and the car parking and people walking through it and people queuing outside and you win the stadium and it was jam packed. Then there was the you know the, there was the march of the teams and the anthems we played and the excitement was, was absolutely brilliant. We haven't had it for I don't know four years, five years. You know it's not good enough to say oh well we couldn't because of COVID. There's some other reason. Yeah, I remember. I have never asked the question why. Perhaps someone. In I, your I, I tried asking. I remember banging the drum after. And particularly after London 2012. I never really got a straight answer for why it didn't happen, but particularly after 2012, boxing gripped the entire nation. You know, Katie yeah. Taylor won the gold medal. We saw John Joe Nevin gave the best performance I've ever seen from an Irish boxer against the yeah. Cuban and beat uh, the Mexican, uh, you know, mm-hmm. who, who's gone on to become a world champion, Oscar Valdez. And, you know, what, what an Olympics he had and the, and the bronze medals for Paddy Barnes and Michael Conlon. They captured the nation's hearts. Good and then there was yeah. nothing. There was yeah. nothing. They tried to put internationals in the hand of an outside an outside agency which never happened it was quite barren between 2012 and 2016 and then when things kind of flopped after 2016 we all went backwards and very little happened between 08 and 2012 either well so. i'm dying for the night that i'm heading out to the national stadium again to see ireland versus england or romania or russia or america and the place black i can't wait for that to go in there and see old faces of people turning up and they would pack the place. That's the one bit. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure they would pack it though, because I've been at many great events at the, at the stadium when the numbers are quite disappointing. 
And I don't know why. You know, even some of the senior final, elite senior yeah. finals nights. Yeah, but you put on Ireland, Ireland versus England. Yeah. Put on Ireland versus the USA. Put on Ireland B, uh, you know, West Germany or something. Yeah, you feel it. They're the ones, yeah. You feel it. Any of those in your, in your career or as a trainer stand out? Like any of those? Like, because that's the beauty of amateur boxing, isn't it? You get to see the stars before the stars, like Andre Ward coming to fight John Duddy. Yeah. And, you know, you get to see mm-hmm. the, these fights happen and, you know, these, these superstars before they are superstars, really. Yeah. Um, I, I, they, were, they were great nights. I used to love that. And of course, National Senior Final Night at the stadium, uh, as well as that National Junior Night, as it was called as well. Uh, they now intermediate. Mm. They were big nights. There was a big following for boxing. But if you let a following disappear, yeah. they lose interest. They lose track of who's who and all the fighters. So... You'd have to generate a lot of a lot of interest again to get people back, but it could be done. Yeah, and in the professional scene, would you would you did you go along to the Katie Taylor against Cameron fight oh, after I, you? Absolutely, I was at Katie's fight. Yeah, and uh, Katie was in my club. I was in her club. She was in my 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 shop in Terenure, uh as a young fifteen year old rambling in, picking up her hand wraps and her headgears and so on. Um, she kept my club for sparring. We went out to hers, and I tell you a quick one. We went out one night and uh, to to Pete Taylor, uh, and Pete said to me, "Mick, uh, would you have anyone here for Katie?" And I said, "Nah, Pete, I don't." I said, "I I, I only brought a, you know boys with me. I don't have girls in my club at this stage." So I had about four car loads of young young boxers. I don't know, no. He says, "Katie sparred one of the men." I says, "The only one I have, Pete, is that there's a man on there." Now he's 19 years old, I said, and he's a welterweight. And um, he's a big lad. I don't know, she's Katie, Katie Asparum, right? I said, sure. What age is Katie? Uh, she's 15. I said, Pete, this guy's 19, he's a big fella. And I, I could name him, but I won't. Yeah. I could name him, but I won't. Long story short, well, right, okay. I said, uh, Michael, that's as hard as I'll tell you, his name, Michael, get ready, you're going to spar this little girl up here. He got into the ring. Later on in the in the evening to spar with this little fifteen year old girl, and there was only one winner, and I'm afraid it wasn't my boy. Yeah, he got a he got a costly lesson. Yeah, fifteen year old was too good for my nineteen year old welterweight big boy. Absolutely. So when you see that, they say, "Oh, this girl is going places." Yeah, and she was, and she was a lovely person, lovely person. You think she can get it back against Cameron? The, the talk right now is that it's going to happen again in November. I'm not sure. She must not fight the same girl again. She wants to. She, yeah, she She's demanding to. it. Stay away from her. Stay away from her. Defend your own title, Katie, because she's still champion in her own weight division. I would imagine that if they fight again, maybe the only stipulation would be that it's hopefully at Taylor's weight of 60 kilos. That's a different thing. But, but, but don't do it she, again at 64. Never, no, she'll never come down to Katie's weight. She won't. That weakens you too much. She says she will. She says. But listen, why doesn't Katie defend her own title? Because she's still champion, as far as I know, in her own division. No, she is. I think, I think I'd say the plan is for Taylor to defend her 60, or her, her 135 her own, pound yeah. titles, her four mm-hmm. titles against Cameron. Give Cameron an opportunity to take her titles, which is obviously a dangerous fight. Would be a compelling fight because it has a new storyline in that Cameron is the one now who's going to a different weight class, and she's up against the the uh, 
you know, the difficulty of having to lose weight and having to get down to Taylor's weight. So, you know, can't you do it? The talk is that Taylor is going to fight her in uh, November. This was according to Eddie Hearn in his latest well, interview. We'll and wait and see. But the, yeah, the, the management teams, left, right and centre, will make a lot of money. And Katie Taylor is the one that's in there having to take punches as well as give them. And as, as, a, as a father, as a dad, as somebody who's been in the ring and, and given and taken the punches, I do not like to see anybody taking punches, but in particular, I do not like to see a girl taking it. I do not, do not want to see Katie taking punches. I, I want Katie to finish her career in good health. And I would hope she's got enough money to do her surely for the rest of her life. And I would like her to go defend that title, her own title she wants. If she wins it, she then retires unbeaten in her own division. If she loses it, she should pull the plug anyway. She's got enough money. She's made enough a big name for herself. She's so highly respected, uh, but she's got to look after her own health. And somebody else has got to do it. And I can assure you, our management will not do that. Because if you and I were managing and we put her in, because you're going to get a half a mil, I'm going to get a half a mil, and she's going to get a million. That's what it's about. It's all about money. So I'm, I'm a dad, and I... I I do not want to see her as a, a young woman taking any more punches. It's a business, isn't it? And it's a, it's, it can be a nasty one at times. It's a, it's a nasty business. Yeah. It's a tough business. Yeah. It's a hard business. And, uh, you know, Katie has, has to live to be you know, 40 years old. She has to be there at 45, 50, 60. Many How fighters aren't. How long more can she stay doing that? How long more can you take punches? I've seen the greatest. Mohammed Ali, and I had the pleasure of meeting Ali when he, when he came to Ireland here. And uh, look what happened to him, because he thought he could go on and on and on, and there was loads of money to be made, but now somebody is spending the money for him. Yeah, and a great many, like like Ali's the great example, isn't he? The most famous man on, on the planet, isn't he? But there's the many, planet. many nameless yeah. boxers who are diminished versions of themselves by their 40s, 50s. And, and, they, and kept, they kept throwing him in. Because he was a, he was a, a cash cow, mm. making a lot of money for other people who never took a punch in the nose themselves. Have you met many boxers without having to name names or anything like that? Because they don't want to be cruel to people's memory or people, uh, you know, but that, uh, that have been hurt through boxing uh, physically. I, mean, I, would, I would never name names. No, anyway, but, no, but of course there, not. there are people yeah. out there, yeah. Um, I forget things every now and then myself. If I owe you money, I'll probably forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you not boil the kettle there while you were <laughs> Yeah, while we were here. Uh, no, I'm not really saying that, you know, it's not to frighten people away from boxing. Like a vast, vast majority end up fine, right mm. and okay. But there are some who just go on and carry on too long, especially in the professional game because of the money that's involved. The business Simple side. Like yeah. We started this conversation by talking about the great and peerless Jim McCourt. And you and him both made similar decisions to commit lifelong to the amateur code. Yes. And I know Jim McCourt, Jim McCourt was heavily pursued by Barney Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And no doubt, plenty of every other promoter in Britain wanted a piece of him. Mm -hmm. You know, clean cut, popular, beautiful skills. Probably, I'm sure he could punch. Um, and he never decided to go pro and you never did either. Why do you think... No. Why, why did you have that decision in common? What was it about the pro scene that turned both of, all, of you off? First, first of all, I had a job. Mm. I was working. I wasn't on the dole. Uh, never on the dole in my living life. Worked all my life from when I was only 14 years old. Always been a worker. Uh, both in and out of the ring. 
uh, I had a job, I was qualified, I was doing fine, and we you know, I'm from a big family. Uh, I like being at home. Yes, when I was in, in England, when I was in America, I had the pro managers chasing me and hunting me. I had pro managers in my place of work in the Gresham Hotel. Uh, I had pro managers in my house, and I remember him still pounding the table uh, with my brother saying to my brother, but Joe, my brother, who coached me, can't you see that Mick could do this and Mick could do that and there's nobody could do it? And my brother was saying, yeah, I, 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 I so much from, but tell Mick about the bad parts of it. But my brother, I think, you know, didn't want to lose me either. You know, I, I, I let's say I was his pride and joy at the time. And he was looking after me and done a brilliant job. Uh, he was a great coach. But I did not want to live in England. I, in, in my young days, I had brothers and sisters who had to emigrate to work in London and in Birmingham and in the USA and so on. I didn't want to do that. When I went to England to box, I was happy to head back home to Ireland. When I boxed in America, I was happy to head back home here. I did not want to turn pro and live abroad. Uh, as I said, I had a job. I was making money. I was making a good name for myself here. And then... Eventually, yeah, when I turned down all the pro offers and, and they were from America, they were onto me, um, from London in particular as well. Um, when it was all over, I decided, well, right, yeah, I didn't turn pro. Uh, I made a name for myself. Yeah, people know who I am here. I'll open a business. I opened a sports shop. Mm. We opened a sports shop in Terenure surely over 40 years ago now. And it's still there as McDowling Sports. And we specialize, of course, in boxing. Trophies is a big part of our business, hugely busy at the moment on trophies and uh, engraving and all that. So the sports business was... You found a way to convert what you'd done, exactly. what you'd achieved into a business into venture a business. where you didn't have to get punched in the head anymore, that's Correct. for sure. And speaking to these kids in, in um, St. Joseph's Boys National School in Terenure today, I was saying the same thing to them, the very same. When you get up there and you make a name for yourself in your sport, whatever sport you want to pursue, whether it's football, soccer, rugby, boxing, athletics, or whatever, you can then cash in on that by opening a business as that and perhaps opening a, another sports shop in turn you and be in opposition to McDowney. <laughs> so, uh, but th that's it. That's what I done. I, you know, I, I didn't take the punches in vain. I, I made use of it. Regards, regards Jim's professional credentials, do you think he would have made a champion boxer as a professional? No, his style was not suited to pro boxing. Not suited to pro boxing. Jim was so different style of fighter, you know. He was, I've said this again and again and again. He was clever, crafty. Um, you know, he'd make, it, he'd, make, he'd make it look like a fool. He'd look like an idiot. He was so smart. But pro boxing would not have been for Jim, and I could well understand him refusing. My style, on the other hand, was absolutely suited to pro boxing. You know, I was able to hit. I had a lot of fights were won by knockout, a lot inside the distance. And my style was always good and exciting. So, yeah, perhaps I could have made a huge lot of money. But I opened my shop and I still have my health. Yeah. And whatever few bob I have, I'm able to count it. That's for sure. That's yeah, important. Yeah. 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 Not just on one hand either. No, and there's a lot to be said for yeah. you know, being happy and having your health and so on. You know, you know, we've got a nice house here in Terenure, um, here in Green, your own. I got four children. They're all doing fine. They're doing well. I got six lovely little grandchildren that I love dearly. And uh, um, 
I, as I said, I have my house here. I don't owe a penny on it. I have my shop down below. I don't owe a penny on it. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm happy. Absolutely happy. Before we go, actually, a, a story has just popped into my head. So both Jim and you went to two Olympic Games apiece, but he went to the first and you went to the third and you both went in the middle. Was there a story going around from before the 72 Olympics? Or maybe it was a Commonwealth Games team is what I'm thinking of. Did, did the plane get lost in Africa and the team went missing? Because Jim Montague told me this story and Jim actually went to the 72 Olympics in place of Jim McCourt. And Jim McCourt would have been a three-time Olympian, only he was told he had to join squad training. And he said, no, I'm fine up here at the MAC. And then the, the position on the team went to Jim Montague. But he told me this mad story of the Irish team going missing in the jungle. I hadn't heard of that one. No, but it could well have been that the gym wouldn't refuse to come to Dublin. I could, I could well understand that. You know, he was a, he, he was a big time fighter, and uh, he wasn't going to come down to Dublin for squad training. I sort of vaguely remember that, all right. But again, it's gone back to I was more interested in my own fighting yeah. than into what was going on with the, the IABA committees and and, and uh, other fighters. Well, you'd be glad to know that these days there's no political struggles or committee wrangling at all in boxing. Everything is completely fine. Good. But, uh, <laughs> as I said earlier, let's see Ireland versus England, USA, Germany, Romania, Spain, or something yeah. like that at the National Boxing Stadium in the yeah. place packed once again. There is absolutely no reason why that shouldn't happen. Just before we go, Mick, there's like we've seen the new the new world boxing breakaway. IBA are going in their own route. It looks like they're going to be expelled from the IOC for good now. Do you think we're going to see boxing in Los Angeles and beyond? Or how much of a blow is it if Olympic boxing does bite us in Ireland? It would be awful. And I'm not up to speed exactly what's happening in the, you know, the intricacies of the whole thing. Um, it's all power struggles and people, again, a lot of, a lot of these people are people who never took a punch themselves, but they like the, the, the little bit of power it could get uh, on these, high-powered committees, but I'm, it would be a shame. I mean, for boxers and going to the Olympics, it's the highlight of any boxer's career. And it would be a sin if that was taken away from them. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully not. Hopefully they can find a way. Like, IBA, and the, it's Russian-led now, effectively, they made one good argument that in order to fulfill the gender quota, they had to reduce the number of male weights at the Olympic Games uh, in order to bring in female boxing. They had to reduce the number of male boxers getting an opportunity at the Olympic Games. And I think they, that's a good argument for them to, mm. to bring forward. And I think that is, that's going to win them some hearts and minds in this argument. It's a pity that when, in order to bring in women's boxing, the male quota places had to had be to ne suffer. nearly ha had to suffer. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't make sense because if, if let's say, you know, if I was a young fighter at bantamweight and, and oh, make there's no longer a bantamweight division. So I'm now excluded from qualifying for the Olympics mm. because there's no no division that has been there from day one. Yeah. So surely it must be some way that they can and fighters are accommodate gonna, you know, both male and female. Fighters are going to be hit with a difficult choice now as well. They're going to be probably given the option, okay, so let's say you're a... You're a weight class that's not in the Olympic Games, lightweight, yeah. men's lightweight. Yeah, so I think. you move up or you move down. To the oh, so, so if you can't, then you're not going to get on the Irish team. Yeah. And the Olympic dream is gone for you. Gone. But you can still go to the World Championships under a neutral banner and win a million dollars to win, you know, to win the goal. People are going to have their head turned, but, but I, I think in future. So the row needs to be resolved. I really hope it is. No, some but sure, look, you'll probably get lads getting so fed up of it just turn professional. Turn professional, yeah. yeah.
And them only that way. We are seeing a new era of Irish amateur boxer or of Irish professional boxer who didn't leave their best years in the in the amateurs anymore. Because in the last decade or two, many of our best have been turning professional at 26, 27 with a lot of accomplishment behind them. Yeah. But now the rising mm-hmm. stars are kind of like the McKenna brothers, yeah. Callum Walsh from County Cork, mm-hmm. from Dublin, Pierce O'Leary. I know, the guys who and didn't particularly they turned professional in a big way or, amateurs. or went professional at 18, 20 young, correct. very very young without really sometimes yeah. not even winning an elite title That's but they are making progress in the professional mm-hmm. ranks and the, the decision is, is kind of paying off so it's going to definitely I think show a different pathway for boxers mm-hmm. in Ireland which is a sad thing because you're an amateur boxing man I love amateur yeah. boxing I think primarily as well so we want to see packed national stadiums we want to see, love to see that, deeply yeah. talented weight divisions where mm-hmm. the winner of the middleweight title in Ireland mm-hmm has beaten four or five top, top mm. quality. Mm. But now middleweight's gone from the Olympic Games. So it's, mm. they're, ma- they're, they're, they're making it difficult. Yeah, they are. But, um, you know, boxing will go on. And I'd say contributing as long as I can mm. and as long as my own health is there. But because that's all the, of the interest, but I like the, the interest I have is looking after youngsters. Yeah, that's and the one, that's the one, like, positive point from it the conveyor belt of talent never really seems to dry up the mm. boxers might go in different directions the dreams might change but the talent you can't stop it coming through it bubbles to the surface and yeah. Ireland is still producing good fighters but there are legions of guys like myself out there coaches and and, mm. and, and mentors and helpers who are, uh, are working uh, you know on a daily basis with young folk around the country in boxing clubs apart from the, the, the soccer and the hurling and, the, and so on but in the boxing clubs, and we're there, legions of people, night after night after night, helping young youngsters. And many of them will never win anything, but we're there to help. And I'm only one of hundreds and hundreds of them around the whole country. And I have great respect for all those people as well. I know what they're doing and I know what they're going through. You know, I, I had the benefit of people looking after me when I was a young fighter. And that's why I'm delighted to be able to give back and have been. And I keep doing so as long as my health allows me to. Yeah, and that's like, you know, and I'm sure the, the hundreds of kids who've come up under your wing over the years would, if you could line them up in front of you now, the kids you've started coaching from 1975 yeah. until now, you'd nearly fill Crow Park with the amount of kids that you've yeah, influenced. I know, you know, lots of the guys that went on to win big things and, and were very successful. I know they would all um, appreciate what I've done. And they would... They would they, they will always speak highly of you, you know, and why wouldn't they if you've, if you've yeah. helped them and you've done things for them? And, and that's all you want is to be appreciated, that's all. And I'd say as well, maybe for every five top boxers, maybe two of them are going to make coaches. So then that's for true. every kid that you coach, every 10 boxers you coach, you're going to create a, a new generation of coaches and they'll influence the next generation. That's the way boxing yeah. moves with Jim McCourt, yeah. down to the nephew Frankie. And like I was talk- speaking for another podcast today to Paddy McCrory, you know, oh, what, yeah, a, what a yeah. career he's having. He was coached by Jim McCourt's nephew Frankie. So Frankie, yeah, you know, yeah. all these all these names are names I'm very very familiar with. All these great fighters. I think the guys like John Rogers up from Lisburn, mad tough man. Eamon McCusker up from Banbridge, County Down, brilliant fighter. You know these the, the Nordies as we we call them. There were some great fighters up there too. McCusker was a great fighter, wasn't he? Did he win Eamon, four out of five in the sixties or something? And more importantly, Eamon McCusker was a lovely man. Nice man. And I like that about people. I like guys to be nice guys. And Eamon Costco was, yeah. Lovely fella. Yeah, well, look, um, we're going to wrap it up, Mick, and I really appreciate your time today uh, having oh, a conversation. We could, we could talk around with, we? <laughs> we'll keep going now at this stage. Yeah, there's plenty more to go, but 
we'll uh, we'll let you get back to a mug of tea there now. You've, you've, right, you've... I, I have to get ready now to go to the gym. <laughs> are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.